So, really lovely, awesome passage uh, tonight. But before we get to that, I just want to remind you, we're starting our new, uh, well, we started our new series last week on Follow Jesus, So What? And for those of you that were here, if you remember, we had Annalisa speak to us uh, last week and we looked at the story or the parable that Jesus told about the wise and the foolish builder. We were looking at the idea of if we follow Jesus, we need to trust him. And that parable begun with the words, uh, those, or Jesus said, uh, those who hear my words and put them into practice are like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And if you remember, the parable is very short. The wise man built his house upon the rock and a foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the rain and the winds come and the house on the rock stands firm and the house on the sand falls flat. Try not to have the song going through your head for the rest of the talk. But that parable starts, doesn't it, with Jesus encouraging us to not just hear his words, but to put our trust in them. It's a bit like the chairs you're sitting on. You can know, if you really wanted to, and study the designs of the chair what materials they're made from, where they've come from, how it's put together. Know that it's strong enough to hold you. But you're not really putting your trust in it until you act on what you know and actually sit in it. And that's what Jesus is kind of saying at the start of that parable, is we are to be people that don't just hear his words, but put them into practice. Hear these words, put them into practice, and we're wise, we'll be like a house that is built on a solid and strong foundation. So that's sort of uh, where we began our series last week. And tonight, we're looking at this wonderful, if slightly peculiar story from the Old Testament. And we're looking at the topic, follow Jesus, so worship. Before I get into why I love this Bible story, I want to ask you a question, and it's not meant to be rude, okay? So don't get the hump when I ask you this. But why are you here? What on earth are you doing here in this building tonight? What brought you here? To worship. Thank you. Part of it is to worship, I hope. But why are we here to worship? What's so important about it? Do we have a needy God that needs people to big up his ego? Why are we here to worship God? I think there's a lot to be learnt from this story that we heard about King David tonight. And it comes with a health warning. This is, I feel like I'm saying this a lot at the moment, but it is literally one of my favorite Bible verses or Bible stories uh, that there are in there. And there's two reasons for it. Uh, the first one is the, slight, is the less important uh, reason. And the first one is because it appeals to my sense of humor. Um, this is a story about David, King David, the greatest king that Israel ever had. If you don't know what a linen ephod is, let me explain it to you. And this is when it, where it becomes amusing. It is basically... Uh, the equivalent back then of underpants. This is King David dancing in the holy city of Jerusalem in front of everybody in an undergarment. 
it's toilet humour kind of, isn't it, almost? It amuses me greatly to just to picture that. I don't know if you can picture it now. Can you imagine the Queen coming out on the, the balcony of Buckingham Palace? <laughs> and doing a little jig. Perhaps the equivalent today would be in her nighty. Could you imagine that? bit silly and foolish. It just appeals greatly to my uh, sort of slightly still childish sense of humour. So, but the second uh, reason why I love this Bible story that we talked about is because actually it, it reminds me of a really important, um, I guess a defining moment in my journey with God. I've been somebody, as I'm sure uh, those of you that have heard me talk about my journey to, to faith, I grew up going to church. But as a child, I... I I enjoyed going to church because I enjoyed going to uh, the youth groups and the fellowship that was surrounding them. And I did enjoy learning a bit about God in, in, in the talks and the sermons, but I never particularly enjoyed going and singing songs in church services. Even if some of the songs were good and I enjoyed the music, there was always something about it that I never quite engaged with and got. And uh, that was through my growing up. I had some years where I walked away from the church. And I remember hearing this story. Um, I, th- I don't know exactly how uh, long after it was after I'd um, come back to God and sort of recommitted my life to him. But it was probably about six, maybe nine months or so after that. And I remember hearing this story. And it totally transformed my attitude to worship and to church. Because even after I'd come back to God, I still really struggle with going to services, being around people, and and what to do in worship, as it were. And And through hearing a talk on this story, God just really got into my heart and kind of broke it open in a really, really uh, good way. So I thought as we look at this really, really important topic of worship tonight, what better story to go to than the one that kind of, uh, yeah, really helped me. And I'm hoping as we go through it, it's going to help you all as well. I confess to a few people at the start of the service, I've got so many points, I could probably talk for like 50 minutes on them. But I'm not going to. I'll hopefully uh, be wise the first thing I want just to, to, to talk about is, is what is worship. Really, really simply, let's break down what, what worship is. And it really helps, actually, looking at the origin of the word in English because it really closely fits the idea of worship that there is in the Bible. The word worship in English originally came from two words, worth, scope. And they kind of, I don't know how languages evolve and work, but they kind of got, got squished uh, together somehow to become worship. But worth scope, it was basically a phrase that people had and said about how you would show the scope of worth that somebody had to you. So what worship is actually about, what we say when we mean worship, is what worship is, is you're showing the the scope of worth that somebody has to you. You're showing through your words, through what you're doing, through your behavior, through your actions, what the worth of the person you're doing them for means to you. 
Does that make sense? When you're worshiping somebody, you're through your words, your actions, you're showing their worth to you, the scope of their worth, the greatness or otherwise of their worth. And that's really, really close to the idea of, of worship in the Bible when we're instructed to, to worship God, to worship no other gods uh, by me, which is what the Lord says, is he's, God is instructing us to show our worth to him, show what he is worth to us through our words and our actions. This is what got me in this story about David. Because one of the phrases that really got me is in verse, um, in verse 14, where it says, David, wearing his undergarment, while the entire household of Israel, uh, with the entire household of Israel there, he danced before the Lord with some of his might, with all of his might. It says, he danced before the Lord with all of his might. Here we have somebody highly respected in the community, told, we're told in the Bible this is the greatest king that Israel had ever had in its history. And here he is, dancing before the Lord with all his might. He is giving everything he has got to God. He is showing there in that action the worth that God has to him. Our worship is to be God-focused, concerned about dancing or worshiping God, being before God. It's to be God first and people second. And that was got really got me about this Bible story. David had a lot to lose as king. But he was more concerned about God and how he looked in front of other people. I realized as I was listening to this, I had gone through and was going through life really concerned about what other people thought about me. Even when I was at church, there would be a song that would come on that I really liked and enjoyed. But I wouldn't enjoy it. I probably wouldn't show it because I was concerned what other people would be thinking of me if perhaps I moved a little bit or there I raised my hand a little bit. I was concerned that other people would think I was foolish, stupid, and I didn't want that to happen. But David didn't care. He, there he is in this story, just totally going for it. Totally going for it. And then later on, uh, in the a uh, little bit after where our reading, reading ends, in verse 22, David says this, I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. 
And that was in response to, to Micah, uh, Saul's daughter, like saying what an idiot he looks like. David was saying, I don't care. I was doing it before the Lord. That is my primary focus. That is what I am most concerned about. David was somebody that went through real ups and downs in his uh, life. If you don't know, he started off as a, as a lowly shepherd boy, uh, the youngest in a family, often uh, overlooked even when a prophet went to his family. He was the last one that was called out by his father because his father didn't think he could possibly be the one that was going to be uh, the future king of Israel. He had to run from flee for his life from the current king after the highs of defeating uh, Goliath. Uh, David's own sons later on tried to kill him. David also made mistakes, um, big mistakes in, in his life. So David wasn't uh, somebody that was perfect. But we're told that there was one thing that, that David did, despite all these ups and downs, was that he had a heart that was after God's heart. He wanted to please God with his life. And he, he cared, Missing, he made, saying he's made mistakes, but he cared deeply more about God than about what other people thought about him in general. And that, I think, is what God is calling us as a church to be, a people that are concerned about giving God his praise and glory that he deserves. So what's going on in this story a little bit? Why is David so happy in this moment that we're talking about? David is happy because the ark is coming back to the holy city. Now, for those of you that don't know what the ark is, uh, has anybody here seen uh, Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark? It's that ark we're talking about. Um, this is the, it is a real thing. Okay, They did make a movie. Indiana Jones isn't real, but the ark is real. Okay. Um, the Ark was uh, made uh, under instructions uh, by Moses, is that right? Yeah, by Moses. And uh, it, in it, we said, contained the, the stone tablets that the Ten Commandments, uh, when the Ten Commandments were given to Moses on the mountain, written by God's hand, they were inside the Ark. And it was also, uh, the Ark was placed at the center of the tabernacle, which was like their temple, their place of worship, where they went uh, to worship God. And when they, when they did that and it, and it was finished, there are a few other things in there, but don't worry about them. Um, the, uh, the God, the cloud of, of, that represents God's presence descended amongst his people once the Ark was finished and it was in the tabernacle. And God's cloud then rests over the tabernacle and, and said to sort of go in it. And it's not, Israel never thought that God was contained in this box of, of the ark, but what it did was it represented God's very presence among his people. It was a symbol that God was with them and for them and, they, and that they were God's people. That's what the ark rep, you know, represented for them. It was at the center of the place where they went to worship. God was close with them. Uh, they could talk and commune with God and God would be with them. And what had happened was that the people, uh, the nation of Israel had uh, misused the ark in the past. 
Uh, they were losing a battle against uh, one of their, their longtime enemies, the Philistines, and they thought, I know what we'll do, is we'll just nip to the worship, we'll pull out the ark, and then that'll mean we'll win the battle, uh, we'll smash the Philistines, and everything will be okay. They basically uh, started turning this, this thing that represented God's presence among them into something that they could just use solely for their own good without giving it any, any reverence or anything like that. So they whipped it out. God was not impressed. I'm cutting a very long story quite short here. Uh, they lost the battle and the ark was whisked away. Uh, it was taken away by the Philistines. Uh, obviously, God was stronger than the Philistinian gods and the Philistines decided they didn't want it, so they sent it on the way. And to cut the story short, it ends up in uh, the house of Abinadad, if I remember rightly. Yes, uh, over the previous page. And David becomes king, and he knows about the ark, and, and he finds out where the ark is. And he is desperate, because he's a man after God's own heart, to bring the presence of God back to his people back to the nation so that they can uh, they have this symbol of God's presence amongst them where other people can go and worship and be close to God and so he goes to the house of Abinadad makes this beautiful cart not him personally but he gets cups to make this beautiful cart and there's some oxen there as well and he takes some important people with him to go and get this ark they whack it on this cart and start carrying it back to Jerusalem. But disaster happens because roads were not very good back then. The government had cut the budgets to road surfacing, much like they have here. They probably had loads of potholes, and the road got quite rickety on the way. And we're told that at this place... Um, where the road becomes really, really rickety, or the ground becomes really unstable, one of the high priests thinks the ark is about to fall off the cart that they've made, sticks their hand out to touch the ark to stop it falling off. And as he does that, he's struck down and dies. That wasn't what you were expecting, was it? No. Okay. So this leads to my next point, and I'll, get in, I'll, I'll try and explain this in, in, in a second. We have, we've talked about the great joy that David had of being close to God in worship earlier and in dancing with all his might. But in order for him to get to that point, there was also great cost involved. There's great cost involved, I think, also in our worship. We need to worship God and give him the worth and show him the worth that he has in our lives even when it's not easy, even when it's not joy-filled, even when we don't feel that close to God and we're trying to bring him back into our, our lives. We still need to worship God even then and follow his path. What's going on with what happened there? What's going on is that when God had um, given them the ark, there was all these kinds of like, instructions that God had given on how his presence should be handled, on how we were supposed to act and behave around the ark. And it included instructions on how you were supposed to uh, behave in the presence of God in carrying the ark as well. 
there are instructions on how the ark should only be carried by people on poles. And do you remember what happened? Uh, the people had misused God in the past and they lost the ark. And here they were with David with really, really good intentions, trying to bring God's presence or a symbol of his presence back among his people. But he was going about it in a way that didn't actually show reverence and the worth of God by just ignoring the instructions that God had given them on, on how they should behave and, and, and handle it. They were, doing, they were treating the ark in the same way, but still trying to draw it close to Israel. David is very um, downcast at this, and it does take him a while to realize his mistake. I think when we worship God, I love coming to church, and I love singing songs of praise because um, it fills us with great joy. And I think music is a wonderful gift that God has given us. It can stir our emotions in a way that nothing else can. And it's great to come here, I think, on, on the Sunday and give our all to God and give our everything to him, not being held back. That's great. But worship is actually even more than that. It's about showing our worth to God in the day today as well, in the way we go about our lives. With God, the end doesn't just justify the means. It matters to God how we get there as well. He wants us to be people that honor him every step of the way, not just to come here on a Sunday and worship him together in song, but he wants us to be people that honor him as well, day to day in our actions and as we're journeying through life. And so David realizes his mistake. And this time he goes back to get the ark, which he has left at uh, uh, Obed-Edom's house. Great names, aren't they, in the Bible? He goes back, and this time he carries the ark back in the right way. He goes about bringing it back in the right way. They carry the ark back on the poles. And it says in our version here, when they had taken six steps, they sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. There's actually some arguments there about whether they just did that after six steps or whether they did that every six steps from when they had done it. If they did it every six steps, it would have taken them an awfully long time, but that's a possible um, that's a, a, yeah, a possible translation of that. They're stopping and celebrating big time along the way. And it was quite a distance as well. Uh, but some people go strongly for that option. But they're celebrating and praising and they're going about it in the, in, in the right way. It wasn't an easy journey. But David still worshipped God, even though he was hit by tough times and didn't understand why tough times were coming his way. He still had a heart after God and went after him. And it spoke to me because I've been through some tough times in my life back then. My, my university years were the worst years of my life. I'm sure there are people here that have gone through much worse things than I went through there. I'm not saying that they were horrendous and bad and worse than anything that anybody here has gone through. In fact, I know people here have gone through a lot worse than I have. 
but it just spoke to me. Now, here, here was David, went through incredible highs and incredible lows in, in his life, but kept coming back to God, kept wanting to give him worship when there was great joy, but also when there was great sadness, and also when it cost a lot as well. David just kept his heart after God and kept going. And so I want us here to be a people that keep going after God, that put him first through the ups and downs of our day-to-day life, but also are a people that when we gather aren't weighed down. You know, kings and rulers, they have this whole kind of uniform, don't know, that they could wear. David would have had this uh, very heavy cloak that he would have worn, probably purple, to show he was royalty. He would have had uh, a bib probably around him full of jewels, very heavy. He could have had a crown on his head to show his status. But can you imagine what his worship of God would have looked like with all those heavy things on that would have made him look good and made him look um, popular or made him look really kingly in the eyes of everybody else? His worship would have been much harder, wouldn't it? He was willing to just throw off those things, throw off his status, throw off those things that made him look good and just give God his all. Now, I know none of us here are earthly royalty. We're heavenly royalty because we're heirs. So, um, yeah, we're co-heirs with Christ, aren't we? But I wonder if there's things in our lives that we let weigh us down and hold us back in our worship of God. Perhaps when we gather here, we are people that like to have a little dance. I quite like dancing. Um, not tea dancing for those of you that have ever saw me at the Connections tea dance. That well, it's okay. It's okay. It's just, I used to go clubbing a lot. That's my kind of dancing. I, I really enjoyed it, but I never felt that I could do that uh, f- for God because I had other people's. I w- wanted to be good. I had these weights on me, and it was just this passage like this that actually freed me to realise that we can give our all to God. God loves it. And he wants us to do it. And actually, when I realized that, it is so freeing. It is so wonderful. Because God meets us in worship. We are made to be a people that connect with God. We were made as people to be in relationship with him. And we have so much to give God thanks for. we have more reason to give thanks to God than David did. Because we live in a time where we we see God's plan more fully than David could. We can look to that window up there and see Jesus hanging there. We're looking to a God who came down, who lived amongst us, who was willing to die for us because he loved us and valued us so much. We have a God whose presence amongst us is no longer the symbol of a box, but it's the Holy Spirit living in us instead. We can dance 
with great joy with God in us and with us every step of the way. And it's not always easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus in his life. It wasn't easy for David in his life. And it's not going to be easy for us in our lives. But we are able. And God wants us to give our all to him. He meets us in it. And he transforms us in it. And even if we're going through those tough times at the moment, we can be sure and we can trust that we are going to get to that place where we are going to be in, not Jerusalem, but the heavenly city, worshipping and praising God and being able to do it with all the costs forgiven, all the costs laid behind. So I just want to encourage us all here, whether you're going through a good time or a bad time now, give your all to God. God, will, God loves it. God will meet with you in it and put him first, put him above other people because that just holds you back, whereas God pulls you forward.